0: Hello, and welcome to episode 7 of the Battle of the Ley Lines, which is the final episode of the Final Chronicle. As always, there has to be a great battle between good and evil, or in this case, a great battle between slightly shady and homicidally shady. Anyway, uh, stick around to the end for a little update on where this project is going, and uh, let's get into it. I would like to thank, for this episode of the Ley Lines, James Hare, David McCran, Helen Vary, Kitty Bennett, Linda Dootson, Sam Perry, Vicky Holding, and Alex Gardner. And as always, our amazing editor, Cal Graham, and our composer, Dennis Moen. Ah, Let's get this war started.
1: Baroness is at her dressing table. Imelda is staring out of the window at the activity below, and the maid is brushing the Baroness's hair. The Baroness breaks a seal on a parchment, opens and reads it, her eyes and her mouth open. Oh! She jumps to her feet and hurls away the parchment. It's a no! She puts her hands on her hips. Imelda turns from the embrasure. The Countess?
2: Yes, the sly, selfish baggage. I would send help to her if she wanted it.
1: Imelda shakes her head sadly.
2: Yes, but she doesn't
1: want it, Bertie.
2: I shall never send her a Yuletide card again.
1: Imelda nods in approval. Quite, or any pincushions,
2: or any back scratches, or perhaps no.
1: The Baroness glances ironically sideways and raises her eyebrows at her in reproof.
2: My Sir Imelda.
1: Imelda remembers herself embarrassedly and goes to the chest. It is evening. The Baron, Morag, Adamant and some of the guards are watching the Abess and Sister Patience. The Abess and Sister Patience are gesticulating up and across in the air and muttering spells. Mm -hmm. Suddenly the castle is surrounded by a dome of light which gives off a magical humming sound. The men all look surprised, and nod their approval, muttering amongst themselves. Hmm. Uh, You call it what, then? The Abess turns and smiles at him.
2: It is a field of resilient light, and should hold them off for a little while, until their power becomes too great, my son.
3: Well, thank you, ladies. That'll stymie the blighters for a while.
1: He grins. They all turn and gaze at the humming, light dome, with appreciation, looking at each other, and muttering approval on the curtain wall of the Baron's castle. There is a loudish humming from the glowing field of resilient light. The Baron is leaning back against the parapet and interestedly watching Quinn and Sister Bluster who are wiring together several pairs of greaves to make makeshift shooting tubes. Robin, Harry and Bill are then forcing these firing tubes into large pewter tankards and drilling a hole in each of these tankards Further along the wall, Adamant and Morag are then ramming in small stones and pushing bang powder down the tubes. They are then pushing twine into the drilled holes, pointing the tubes over the wall by setting them in grooved blocks of wood, lighting the twine and standing back. There is a loud explosion and Adamant gets a face full of soot, but they both grin and nod at each other. They look over at the other two teams and the Baron who nods or shakes his head or fists in exultation. Adamant strides up to the ward room and opens the door, followed by Morag. There's a fire in the grate, tankards on the table, a chair overturned, and the whole room is empty. Adamant stands back to let Morag see. Morag looks angry.
4: Great! Wondered why they hadn't turned up to fill their gizzards at the buttery? Uh, the rest of them must have fled while we were sorting the tubes. Well, there's always the consternation that Zorza will possess them now. Or so the abbess says. I
1: right, grimaces and shrugs. Uh, but do we want them possessed? Luisa and Imelda are sewing by the fire and the Baroness Ethelberta in mid-scribble with a look of great concentration on her face. Baroness suddenly sits back in her chair and sighs.
2: What if the Marchioness doesn't come either? Oh, she must come. You sent her all that flax when her linen got mildewed. And we had to put up with her horrid son, Oswald, who kept coming for tea and telling us all about his revolting beetles. Ha!
5: You had it bad. Mother locked me up with the beast for five interminable dates. I nearly threw up my crumpet on him. Then the
2: least the Marchioness can do
5: is to send maybe just
2: one of her four brigades.
1: Baroness holds out and looks at her parchment from a distance, admiring her handiwork.
2: Well, I've certainly written a message full of pathos
5: and friendship. Should I illuminate it, do you think? I don't think so, Mother. Cook is still waiting for you to do the auditing of the siege supplies.
1: Louisa throws down the parchment.
5: Oh, good grief. I nearly forgot her.
1: She jumps up.
5: Nimelda,
2: bring your spare parchment and quill down to the kitchen.
1: The Baroness rushes from the room. The Baroness strides briskly into the kitchen and the cook looks up from her chopping at the table. There is the sound of explosions outside and then cheering. There is also the sound of cattle mooing intermittently. The cook bobs a curtsy.
2: Morning, milady. Good morning, Mistress Eelworthy. Now, don't tell me we don't have any beeves available, hmm? I saw the drover drive a good head into the lower tower.
1: The cook shakes her head sadly.
2: Them's no good, milady. They've got foot and mouth in posthume, Oh, Can't we eat them then? A couple of months on, good fresh swart, and this'll be right as rain. But not now, no, not unless you want foot and mouth, you sen. Oh, dear. Well, though I did at least see a master muggings bring around three flocks inside uh, some of the intact fields, so we should be all right.
1: The cook puts down her knife, puts her hands on her hips, and shakes her head again.
2: Oof! The sheep have orf? Is that bad? Gives you girt, pumple lumps on your face if you eat it, and then the squip summer's awful. You mean awful?
1: <laughs> the cook grimaces and the Baroness rolls her eyes. Imelda looks chastened. The Baroness shakes her head and starts to head off into a back room.
2: Right, well... Let's see what horrors the salted fish have got in store for us, shall we?
1: The ladies start to follow her, and Imelda puts her hand weakly to her forehead.
2: Oh, God (laughs) knows.
1: The Baroness glares over her shoulder, and Imelda looks contrite. Sorry, Bertie.
2: Keep it together, Smelly. Keep it together.
1: They go out. There is the light spheres humming sound and reflected light. There are sheep milling around and men trying to catch them. There is a huddle of mystified peasants... ...having things explained to them... ...with lots of arm-waving by Spilligans and gudgeon. There are various servants carrying things rapidly this way and that... ...and the Baron directing and roaring at them all, alternately. Adamant and Morag are by the gate... ...counting the last eight men as they hurry through... ...each carrying their possessions. Adamant and Morag, plus Harry... ...shout up to Robin to lower the portcullis. This done, they slam the gate shut and lower the lock bar. Adamant then sends Morag off on an errand to the castle, and Morag departs. There is a crowd of around 20 people all milling around and talking, accompanied by their belongings, sundry dogs and chickens in cages and stuff like that. The baroness, Imelda and Uisa are counting people off, giving them blankets and instructing them where to go, Hadrida is standing nearby with a pile of bedding and a big basket of loaves. Morag strides in, bows, and addresses the Baroness.
3: Uh, My lady, Adamant says that the last of the villagers are in now, and we've closed the
2: gates. Oh, good. And the Baron?
1: Uh, Up on the roof, my lady. A couple of peasants are recounting stories, roaring with laughter and falling about. One of them accidentally knocks Luisa over, but Morag manages to catch her before she falls. Oh, careful, my love. Uysa shrugs him away and truculently brushes herself down.
5: I can take care of myself and don't need my future lord and master to tell me what to do.
1: No, I only meant...
5: I know. I know.
1: Morag smiles and steps forward to hold and to kiss her, but she ducks aside.
5: Mama! I'll take the women up to the first gallery if they want to follow me.
1: She looks cursorily and dismissively around at Morag.
5: Goodbye, your majesty.
1: She sweeps out, followed by five village women and some children with their possessions, blankets, bread, and things like that. Morag bites his lip and looks hurt and angry. The Baron is giving instructions to his servitors about how they should fight and Quinn and Sister Bluster are pounding powder in one corner of the parapet. There is the pervasive humming sound of the light sphere and distant, intermittent booming noises and shouts. Spillikins and Gudgeon are lighting a fire under a cauldron and pouring oil into it. Adamant bounds out onto the roof and approaches his father. They're all in now, father! Robin has dropped the portcullis! The Baroness appears on the roof, angrily brandishing a parchment.
2: Harold! The Marchioness has let us down as well.
1: What? None of them to send help? The Baroness shakes her head sadly.
2: I'm so sorry, dear. I, I thought they were our friends.
3: Oh, uh, well, uh, I never trusted that way-faced mare or that spavined vine her spouse. The Baroness kisses him on the cheek. Now, Adam, you and Morag go and round up all boys over 13 and men under 80 and get them down in the courtyard, handling field tools for basic self-defence.
1: Adamant bows. Yes, sir. He bounds out. The baron turns kindly to his wife. All women undercover, my dear.
2: Yes, Beefy. Oh, and the abbess says that the light barrier will fade within the hour. Well then,
1: we'll let them have it soon enough. The baroness smiles and returns to the roof entrance. Uysa, helped by two servants, is busily tearing up old rags from a great pile beside her. There is the loud background humming of the light sphere and distant booms and shoutings. Verb comes in quickly and stomps irritatedly around the room, looking in the corners.
2: You see my extra big mortar, Weeze. I want it for one of the bigger men. What? Morag wants it? Uh, oh no, he's got an injured arm, nearly sliced off, so he can't use my big pestle and mortar. he drops the rags and looks horrified.
5: His arm? Injured? Why? When?
2: Oh, he fought a dragon
1: to get some jewels for you, and the dragon nearly ate him. For me? said grabs Burb's shoulders and shakes him frantically.
5: How is he? Is he dead? Is he lying down somewhere? Is he...
1: Burb shakes himself free.
5: Oh, get off, Risa, get off, he's only... here a...
1: There is a deafening hush suddenly. Risa, Burb and the servants stiffen and listen. The various people in the silence in the courtyard stop and stare with dread up at the sky as the light sphere collapses. This is then suddenly followed by a loud boom. And the portcullis and the gate are blown down. There is a loud roar and the possessed brigands, the blue smoky moor of terror, and about a dozen small red squidgy demons on legs pour into the courtyard and set about the knights barons, servants and male peasants in training who fight them off with various weapons and implements. The fighting goes on a long time and the different characters are seen defending the castle. Adamant's old arm wound opens up again and is seen to be bleeding as is Morag's. The Baron is bashing people's heads together. Burb is up on the roof with Sister Bluster, Quinn, and a couple of other aged peasants, setting off bang tubes and wavering around with the hot oil cauldron as they can't single out enemy only for pouring it out. The fighting goes on for ages, Burb is suddenly very concerned to see Adamant helping an old injured peasant into the bottom of the keep but then getting stabbed in the thigh from the rear by a brigand. Adamant half falls but then rallies, ignoring his streaming leg, kills the brigand and then continues helping the peasant, limping with him into the keep ground floor and then returning to the fray. The Blue Moor of Terror is generally floating around, encouraging its own side and blowing over members of the baron's side, or making wood structures and scaffolding collapse upon them. The peasants seem to be holding their own with the small demons, however, which, when pierced, immediately collapse into gelatinous goo with a farting noise. The elderly Spillikins and Gudgeon are fighting off a couple of brigands from the kitchen entrance, using large ladles, stools, and large pan lids, as well as meats cleavers and several knives. The kitchen boy is beneath their feet, hitting any brigands that get near. Spillikins has just killed two brigands, when Mavis pushes through, brandishing a large old rusty iron flask. Move! Please! Move! She stands on the threshold of the kitchen door and calls out to Adamant, who is fighting a brigand a little distance off. Adamant's arm and leg are blood-soaked and the giant brigand is getting the better of him. Adamant. Adamant looks round and the brigand's sword starts to descend upon his head when, suddenly, Morag appears and lops off the brigand's head. Adamant is spared. Mavis is horrified at what she nearly caused, and Spillikins and Gudgeon hastily usher her back inside, out of danger. Morag is then assailed by a brigand and a red demon, which tries to gnaw at his knees as he tries to kick it off. Adamant is staggering a bit, weak with blood loss, and he goes to lean against the castle wall, half fainting near the kitchens. The Blue Moor of Terror is moving towards the part of the courtyard near to Adamant and the kitchen entrance. Mavis makes another attempt to reach the door, shouting at Spillikins that she has the solution to the attack. She waves around the iron bottle at them, pushing past the old man and staggers out to Adamant. Mavis comes up to Adamant as he leans dizzily against the wall.
5: Adamant, are you all right? You're bleeding a lot. Uh, everywhere.
1: Yes, yeah.
4: Just need a minute.
5: Adamant, if you hold this iron bottle near the blue demon, he will get sucked in, and Zorks are along with him. It's very old iron. It should work. I just found it.
1: She waves it around him. He looks up blearily.
4: Oh, go on then. Give me the thing. Anything to get rid of them.
1: He grabs the bottle and staggers, dazedly, up to the blue maw of terror. As Adamant arrives about a metre away from the demon near the middle of the courtyard, he points the bottle horizontally at it. There is a sudden zoop noise and the bottle sucks the smoky blue maw of terror inside of itself. The bottle starts wildly waving around and Adamant, being weak, has problems holding on to it. Quinn descends from the roof... He exits the keep door and races over to Adamant. Quinn grabs the bottle, puts it on the ground and stuffs a rag into the end of it. He casts a spell on the end of the bottle and it suddenly stops jiggling around. The remaining red demons suddenly all fall silent, standing stock still and then dissolve into puddles of goo. The possessed brigands start to wake up and drop their swords while looking confusedly around. Meanwhile, the demon monk rushes out of the kitchen door with a big old lance. He suddenly strikes Adamant on the breastplate with its point and Adamant falls to the floor unconscious. The horror-struck baron kneels and takes Adamant's body into his arms and rocks him backwards and forwards whilst wailing. Morag kills the demon monk with a sword thrust. The baron tries to drag Adamant indoors and reaches the threshold of the kitchen entrance. Sister Patience, who has seen the attack, runs out of the kitchen door and thrusts aside the baron.
5: Leave him to me, sire.
1: She starts to do cardiac resuscitation, effecting ten rhythmic pushes on his sternum with the heels of her hands and then stopping and counting for ten before repeating. The baron is confused and upset.
3: What are you doing, wench? Are you trying to finish him off?
5: No, sir. This works for breast strike. Excuse me.
1: She tips Adamant's head back and starts to lean down to place her mouth over his. As she lowers her face towards him, Adamant's eyes flutter open. Oh, yes. Kiss me. oh Spirits of the sun,
4: kiss me well.
3: Mm. Mm. Uh, I think the lad will survive now, sister. Thank you. Uh, Thank you.
1: Sister Patience smiles and stands up and Adamant sits groggily up and looks around. The remaining confused brigands are being rounded up and tied in couples and some are running away. Morag stands with his arm dripping and smiles at Adamant. Welcome back to the land of the kissing, Adamant. Morag is suddenly almost knocked down by the sudden arrival of Uisa who throws her arms around him.
5: You all right, Adamant?
1: If someone will stop all this blood... His leg and arm are very blooded. The Baroness appears with Imelda and towels. She, along with the Baron, help Adamant to his feet.
5: My love, I didn't know about your arm or the dragon... You were very wicked to hurt yourself like that. Just for me.
1: Uysa covers Morag in kisses.
3: Quinn, get Robin, Harry, Bill and the villagers to help you get these remaining rogues into the dungeons and get that blasted bottle somewhere safe. Yes, sir.
1: Quinn runs off towards the peasantry who are tying up the remaining brigands. Baroness turns to Uysa.
2: Come, Uysa. We'll take these two to my bedroom. Imelda, towels and bandages. Get Hadrida to boil some water.
1: Adamant is sitting up in bed, looking quite perky, with a large shoulder bandage on. Morag and Wisa come in to visit him. They enter quietly and tentatively. Oh, hello, you two. Wisa kisses him on the cheek and then sits on the side of the bed.
5: Glad to see you're looking better, Adamant. Mater says that you still can't come to the key purification and rededication ceremonies this afternoon, though.
4: Oh, well, I shall just have to leave the organisation of them all to you. Priestesses are your thing. I must say,
3: I was quite surprised that this little girl was easily in charge of the villagers. She sorted them all out like a natural. He smiles. Maybe she'll be able to manage things herself when it comes
1: to queening after all.
5: Of course I will, idiot.
1: She accidentally punches him on the wrong arm. He grimaces and she looks contrite and softly strokes it.
5: I shall have your aristocracy eating out of my hand.
1: It's more than Martyr's managed, I hear.
5: I suspect that Mother's cured of her desire to be a courtier. She is sick of Marchionesses and Countesses now.
1: The baron comes in while she is saying this.
3: Uh, good. She's worth a hundred of them all. Lisa, the draper wants you to buy his cloth as he's decided to retire over in Swode. Lisa stands up.
5: Uh, Oh, hooray! They're leaving the field to our new draper. Hooray! Hooray! We can make our frocks in peace now. No more old bag.
1: She grabs Morag's hand and smiles, ironically.
5: Now, I really must introduce you to my dear old, soon-to-be ex-friend, Mistress Walleye Morag. Come along.
1: Morag grimaces in reluctance, and they go out. Uh, Now, Adamant, talking
3: about leaving the field to those better able to manage... I just called to tell you my proposal about the Brethnach
1: estates. He closes the door. The Baron and Baroness lead the way back through the smashed gateway into the courtyard, followed by the remaining servants and family. They are dressed in their best clothes. The Baron starts to chat with Morag, and the Baroness turns to the others just behind her as they make their way across the courtyard towards the castle.
2: That was a lovely rededication ceremony, Mother. Thank you, my child. With the keys of sorcery turned and locked, I think the Greenlands is a safer place now. I'm just sorry. You couldn't use our demolished household sanctuary. The woods and trees are our home, my dear. It
1: is there that our sun god roams. They arrive at the main keep entrance.
2: I'm afraid that lunch will be a bit makeshift too as they blew up the back kitchens. I don't know what we're going to do about the wedding the day after tomorrow. We're still going ahead, though.
1: Sister Blodwin, who is walking alongside, shakes her fist.
2: By gorm, the spirit, Baroness. And don't worry, though. We'll lend you our great chef, Sister Botwaga. Thank you so much, sister.
1: The Baroness smiles and they go in. The usual furniture has been put up against the walls and the tables have been set up in the middle of the room in a square sort of C-shape. The wedding guests are listening to the bride's father's toast. And so I give you the bride and groom. The dinner guests stand up, raise their glasses. The Baron motions them to sit, which they do.
3: And now I just want my son and heir, Adamant,
1: to make his little announcement. The Baron makes encouraging gestures to Adamant, who reluctantly and somewhat shyly gets up to talk. The Baron sits down.
4: I, um, just want to say that, uh that my father has asked me to take over the running of the estate of Brethnach, and I have accepted his kindness. He smiles. Apparently I have to settle down and find a future Baroness of my own too, so next year I am travelling to Halstaten to visit Uysa and Morag, and to find a wife to bring home. There is warm applause and shouts of, yeah, yeah. And, uh. His Majesty. The Prince of Halstaten, and furthermore, is kindly insisting upon paying for the rebuilding of our demolished kitchens and sanctuary. And he and Yuisa will be visiting us three months a year to help supervise this work being done with the ill gotten gains from a certain dragon.
3: I helped too. And I thought you were flower picking.
1: Adamant sits down and the Baron stands up.
3: Now, if you will step down to the Great Hall, ladies and gentlemen, we will watch the new couple tread a measure.
1: Morag and Uisa move out from the crowd and dance for a little while, and then the Baron and Baroness join them. Adamant then bows too and asks for the hand of Uisa's friend, Clarissa. She smiles, stands up, and puts her hand upon his arm. As they make their way out onto the floor, Burb and Kazak, dragging two dwarf maids, barrel past them and nearly knock them over. There is great merriment as the crowd makes two long lines and Morag and Uisa dance down under overarching hands, followed by Adamant and Clarissa. The Baron and Baroness have stood out for a minute or two to watch.
2: It's so wonderful. I just hope I have the same success finding Adamant a wife.
1: You found... He shakes his head in a comically indulgent manner. Poor Adamant.
3: Well, I'll give you one thing, wife. You don't give up. You certainly don't give
1: up. He leans over and gives her a resounding kiss on the mouth. She smiles and clings affectionately to his upper arm as the dance goes on.
0: That was the final episode of the Battle of the Ley Lines from the Greenlands Presents and the final episode of the Chronicles. I would like to thank all the editors who have worked on the previous Chronicles, including Carl Graham, who has edited this episode and a few before it, and the brilliant Dennis Moen for musicaling the whole series. Now that the Chronicles are finished, uh, we will be releasing three little one-off special episodes quite soon, uh, one for each character set, for the fun of it, uh, so keep an ear out for them. I will tease their release day on social media, and if you want, I can drop an email, a uh, newsletter, you know, that thing. Also uh, we'll be trying to fix the audio quality on season one, um, so we may have to do some re-recording but I don't know. Um, I've been working on this podcast for two years now. Uh, When season one is finished, I will be taking a little break. Um, I have some more fantasy-themed scripts set in the Greenlands coming up, but I have to finish writing them, and they have different characters, and I'm kind of excited about those. I'm also currently, in case you're wondering, releasing a period drama Thomas Hardy audio drama adaptation of that dude I just mentioned the books. Uh, (laughs) Check out The Daily Dilettante if you're curious. And thank you so much to all the amazing cast and to all of the amazing editors who have done, I'm going to say amazing for a third time, but amazing job. <laughs> and thank you so much for everyone for letting me make this rather odd little fantasy podcast possible. And uh, thank you so much to the listeners and supporters. I love y'all. See y'all again soon.